This is the Talk of Fame Network, featuring Hall of Fame voters Ron Borges from the Boston Herald, Rick Goslin of the Dallas Morning News, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. And now, let the debates begin. Who is a Hall of Famer? Will they be enshrined in Canton? Do they have the numbers to get in? Let the experts who make the decision tell you who will be signing their name with HOF next to it. And now, it's the Talk of Fame Network. Welcome back to another week of the Talk of Fame. I'm Clark Judge, along with Rick and Ron, and today we'll be addressing coaches who aren't standing in the Hall of Fame. Not yet, anyway, but maybe they should be. So we'll be talking with Dan Reeves and former San Francisco coach George Seifers. We're also going to hear from Hall of Fame selector Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald and get Rick's take on why former Green Bay Packers defensive back Bobby Dillon, no, not Highway 61's Bobby Dillon, former Packers defensive back Bobby Dillon, Deserves to have his case heard and can't. But first, let's get to what's going on, guys. And Jared Allen to Carolina is what's going on. As you know, uh, he was traded to the Packers earlier this week after this is O'Leary's cow burned down Lake Forest, Illinois. But what we don't know is this. Is Jared Allen Hall of Fame worthy? I mean, he's ninth on the all-time sex list with 134, and that's good news. But the bad is that doesn't guarantee him anything. And I'll tell you who should know, Kevin Green. He's third on that all-time list at 160, and he's still waiting for his ticket to be punched. Well, first off, Clark, you're not going to find Deacon Jones on that sack list. You're not going to find Carl Eller. You're not going to find Harvey Martin, Leroy Selman, or Claude Humphrey. Pass rushers have been tackling quarterbacks long before the NFL decided to start tallying sacks in 1982. Would I take Allen over the Deacon? No. Would I take him over Eller? No. Would I take him over Martin? No, I need a little something more than the fact he ranked in the top 10 of a very incomplete list of sacks. I agree, and I think that uh, at best to me, he's the borderline all very good type of a player. Uh, I mean, he could make it, but I think it would require a pretty interesting uh, presentation from whoever presents his credentials. Uh, and an explanation for why a guy who's had that many sacks and get after the quarterback so effectively, I think, is on his fourth team. Uh, usually you're hog-tying those guys with by their hands and feet to keep them. So, uh, you know, what's up with him? Well, I was going to ask you if his career were to end today, would you vote him in? But my guess is the answer is no, right, Goose? Well, he, he played for several teams. Uh, Kevin Green played for several teams like Allen and did not win a title like Allen. Uh, we've seen the difficulties Green's encountered in trying to get in a get in a can and get a bust. You know, I think Allen also faces a long road as a result. I, I think, like Ron said, his presenter is going to have to do a heck of a sales job on Jared Allen. Ron, you wouldn't vote him in either. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I would have to listen if somebody gave a great presentation. But off of what I know right now, uh, I don't think I would. I think he's the hall of very good. Maybe that great presentation should be made by the goose man. Um, then, of course, with this week, we've got the Big Ben injury. I mean, he's out an estimate, I don't know, four to six weeks, they say indefinite, with sprained knee. But I'm not sure it matters, guys. I mean, from where I'm sitting, it's like the Steelers' season is on life support. Goose, you with me on that? Yeah, especially with the way the Bengals have started off. You know, it's going to be a, an uphill struggle for the Steelers this season, even with Roethlisberger on the field to, to catch the Bengals. You know, Cincinnati has a going, got a going right now. They're running the ball. They're throwing the ball. They're playing defense. You know, I think Ben uh, gave the Steelers a chance to overcome some of their defensive deficiencies, and they won't have the same luxury now with the aging and erratic Michael Vick. Well, I'm glad you mentioned him, Ronnie. As you know, Michael Vick, as he mentioned, replaces Big Ben, and Coach Mike Tomlin says he'll adapt his system to Vic's talents, whatever that means. But lately, <laughs> Hide the dogs! 
that's right. Oh, the dog. <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Lately, it means a whole lot of turnovers and not a whole lot of winning. Well, you're right. I mean, look, to me, Vic was always a, a great athlete playing quarterback, not a great quarterback, was also a great athlete. Uh, now I think uh, due to the ravages of time, due to injuries, due to his incarceration, uh, I think he's he had those all together, and he's not the athlete he once was. Uh, and he's no better a quarterback than than he was before. Look, he's 35. I believe he's 59, 50, and 1 for his career. He's had one winning season in the last five or six years when he's had the opportunity to play. Uh, and he's not the athlete he once was. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what Tom will come up with. Uh, but I, if it were me, the first thing I would do is remind him this. You are not who you think you are. Just do what we ask. Well, Goose, I know who Cincinnati is. They are who they think they are. They're the AFC North frontrunners, and I don't want to hear about how Andy Dalton or that team turned a corner last weekend, which I did hear, because nothing really matters until January. And, oh, by the way, a year ago the Bengals were 3-0 and at this time, too, and they ran their playoff record, too. Yeah, winless under Dalton and winless under Marvin Lewis. Clark, you probably hated the Steve Young Niners, too, before they finally beat the Cowboys <laughs> in 94. You know, give the Bengals some air. Let them breathe. You know, I, I believe this is Cincinnati's best team of the Lewis Dalton era. They are deep in offensive playmakers with A.J. Green, Eifert, Hill, and Bernard. They have a dominating defensive front with Atkins, Pico, and Ray Maluga. If this bunch is ever to snap out of a playoff drought, it's now. Yeah, they still got to win in January, Goose. Anyway, we're going to stop right there. When we come back, it's Dan Reeves. You're listening to the Talk of the Fame Network. The following was recorded at a Burger King drive-thru at breakfast. Morning, welcome to Burger King. Let me get a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sure, right now they're two for four dollars, but is that how you say that? Yeah, croissant. Where I'm from, we say croissant. Try that. Croissant. Wow, that took you two seconds. Took me years of practice. I'm not you. Piled high with thick cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two croissant breakfast sandwiches for just four dollars. Only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary. And now, a touching moment while staying in touch with Geico. It was a warm summer day. I was just sitting on a porch watching a babbling brook roll by. Then, out of the blue, I got an update from my Geico app saying my claim had been processed. I felt so connected to nature, to Geico. (laughs) I stayed there the whole afternoon until that guy told me to stop trespassing on his porch. Sheesh, what was his problem? Claim status updates, just a few taps away on the Geico app. This is Lori Grenier. You've seen me on Shark Tank hearing pitches from small businesses. Now there is a new way for small businesses to get a loan in minutes. It's called Cabbage. That's Cabbage with a K. Just fill out the application online. You'll get an instant decision and could have access to a line of credit of up to $100,000. No waiting, no hassle. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and is a Forbes Top 100 company. Go to Cabbage.com, that's Cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E, or call 888-CABBAGE. Hi, Tom Bodette. Apparently, it's not enough to go on a weekend jog. Nowadays, so-called fun runs have barbed wire, mud bogs, and flaming hoops. Can poison blow darts be far behind? But Motel 6 is a safe stop in the long or short run. Always a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain. Book online at motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light on for you. Ow, was that a blow? Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Gosselin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot post with him. Can't do it. I want winners. Well, speaking of winners, 
No one has been involved in more Super Bowls as a player and coach than our next guest. Dan Reeves appeared in nine Super Bowls, two as a player with the Dallas Cowboys, three as a Cowboys assistant coach, and four times as an NFL head coach. Three with the Broncos and one with the Atlanta Falcons. So do the math, people. That means roughly 25% of the time that Dan was in the NFL, he finished his season in the Super Bowl. Not bad. I'll tell you what else isn't bad. When Dan Reeves retired from head coaching in 2003, his 190 regular season wins ranked eighth best in NFL history. And now, well, now we're fortunate to have him here. Dan Reeves, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. How are y'all doing today? We're doing Great. good. We're Thank doing you. good because we're talking to you. And of the you know of the top <laughs> 10 <laughs> winning, his, winning his coaches in NFL history, of course, three yourself, uh, Marty Schottenhammer and uh, Chuck Knox are the only ones uh, not in the hall, excluding uh, the still active Bill Belichick. Uh, and of the 23 who were in, only three failed to win Super Bowl or the, or the equivalent of the league championship. Three of you weren't able to do that as head coaches. I'm just wondering, do you think there's too much emphasis, historical emphasis, placed on winning that one game at the end of the season, perhaps over some other matters that were at least as important? Well, you know, I, I really do think that that's true because I think there was a lot of Dallas Cowboy players that I played with that I know were exceptional players, and you know that was always hanging over their head. They couldn't, you know, couldn't win the, the Super Bowl, and uh, you know I think we have some that are certainly worthy of of being in there, and and then you know some other players uh, that great players that you know are not there, and great coaches too. But uh, you know it's a it's an elite club, so you know, when you get in it, you know you're you're something special. Dan, of the coaches not in the hall, other than yourself, is there one that you feel is particularly deserving? Whether it be a, a Shaughnessy or a Knox or Shot or Don Coriel, anyone in particular? Well, the two that I coached against uh, when I came into the league with the Denver Broncos, uh, you know, Chuck Knox and, and uh, Don Coriel, those two were exceptional coaches. They they were. They were outstanding, and Don, uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint, was so creative, uh, did so many unique things, and and accomplished so much. And then, uh, you know, Coach Knox just got the most, you know, out of his people. And I think that's what coaching's all trying to get your players to play up to, you know, their capabilities. We're with former player and coach Dan Reeves on the Talk of Fame Network, and Dan, I remember former Carolina GM Marty Herney, who was a newspaper guy at one time in his life. He once said. He'd rather not have reached Super Bowl 38 than lose to the New England Patriots because of the lingering pain of defeat. As someone who was involved in more Super Bowl losses than victories, do you share that feeling? No, I really don't. Uh, I mean, it's so difficult to get there. And, you know, winning, there's no question. It's down to, you know, one game. And if you don't play it, uh, you know, the, the level that you need to, to, to win, you certainly are not going to win it. Uh, the other team is too good to you know make up for the mistakes that you made, and you know so I know that Coach Landry was an outstanding coach uh, way before you know we finally won the Super Bowl in 1971. An awful lot of games, big games, you know, to get to, to those situations. So yeah, I, I think there is a lot. Uh, you know, I, I can remember you know coaching uh, you know players that, that played in the league and were Pro Bowl players. You know, by their peers, they were selected. And it never even made the playoffs. Uh, you know, Jackie Smith came to the Dallas Cowboys, and he was one of the greatest tight ends I'd ever seen. But they, uh, you know, had not made the playoffs. And I remember when we, you know, when we made the, the playoffs and won the game to go to the Super Bowl, he, you know, he cried like a baby. Uh, you know, it's just so difficult to do. 
And I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I believe you were kind of a uh, sickly kid when when you were young and began working hard on your family's farm down there outside of America's Georgia. Ever think back, and are you surprised at all that that boy who was plowing the fields after dark with a light on the tractor ended up playing and, and coaching in all these Super Bowls and having the, the career that you had? Oh, no question. I mean, it's uh, it's like a dream when you think about it. You know, I was, I was just barely uh, recruited. You know, out of high school, uh, signed with the University of South Carolina because it's the only school that offered me a scholarship, and then uh, signed with the Cowboys as a free agent, uh, you know, and to make the, the squad there, uh, you know, it was a dream come true. And I never thought about coaching until Coach Landry asked me to be a, a player coach, and, you know, I, it kept me around for three more years. And uh, then because of the success that we had, you know, as a team, I was interviewed for being a you know head coach. So. You know, yeah. Think back on it, and you know, it, it really is unreal that how you know I was able to accomplish and be in the National Football League for 39 years. Dan, what was the influence of Tom Landry on your on your career as a coach, maybe your coaching philosophy? Well, I question uh, you know everything. Uh, you know, from the way he approached things, from uh, you know organizing, you know being organized, he felt like it. Uh, you had to be organized in everything that you did. Uh, he felt like Preparation was the greatest motivator, and I always tried to make sure I had, uh, you know, teams that I coached prepared as well as we could possibly be prepared, and you know, not overlook anything, uh, you know, and just uh, the way he was involved in everything, uh, you know, as far as the personnel was concerned, and you know, uh, X's and O's, and he was offensive and a defensive coach. Uh, you know, we learned an awful lot about uh, defenses because he was. You know, so skilled and he coached on the defensive side of the ball. And yet, you know, when I was coaching with him, he was calling plays and, uh, you know, was in, you know, offensive. Man, I don't know that I ever know of anybody that I was involved with anyway that, you know, would be in an offensive meeting, we'd get the game plan done and he'd immediately go into defensive, you know, meeting with the defensive coaches to get the defensive game plan done. So he, he was unique. And I know the, the respect you have for Tom being on the same sideline. Who's the best coach you ever faced? Gosh, it'd have to be, you know, about five, because people ask you that about quarterbacks and running backs, you know, and it's hard to, to pick out, you know, one. But certainly, you know, Coach Shula stands there. Coach Noel, uh, we lost a couple Super Bowls to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coach Noel was, was really something special. And, you know, when I came into the league uh, and we had the, the meeting with head coaches, uh, you know, he – you know, sat next to me and, and made me feel like I was, a, you know, a part of the National Football League, and, and he didn't have to do that. And I've always, you know, respected him for that, but also for his, uh, you know, coaching abilities. And certainly Joe Gibbs, uh, who, you know, I coached against so many times, uh, you know, was just an exceptional football coach. And now, you know, Bill Belichick uh, is a phenomenal football coach. That's just some of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan, we're with Dan Reeves on the Talk Fame Network. Goose asked you about Tom Landry. I want to ask you another Tom Landry question. To the, to the best of my knowledge, I think he made you a safety when you first came to Dallas. After, as you mentioned, you'd been a quarterback at South Carolina. And a year later, he converted Mel Renfro to offense. And then when Mel got hurt, you got your chance. And what'd you do? You led the team in rushing with over 700 yards. Did you know you had that inside of you if you had the chance? No, really and truly, the uh, only time I'd played uh, running back, and I, I really signed with the Cowboys where, they, you know, I'd play safety in college, and they signed me really as a defensive player and said, we will 
you know, try it running back and wide receiver, but, uh, you know, we signed him as a defensive back. And so I went there and I made the team, basically made it, you know, because of special teams. I played a little bit in 1965, you know, as a rookie. And I really thought there was a chance I might go to Atlanta in expansion, but, you know, didn't go. And, and like you said, in 1966, they had switched Mel Renfro to, you know, offense. And I played behind him in preseason, and he was phenomenal. He was averaging about eight and a half, nine yards to carry in preseason. And uh, in the last preseason game, he got hurt, and I was able to start, you know, the first game of the season, and, and we had a big win. And, and uh, you know, he was hurt and out for like two or three weeks. And, you know, Coach Landry moved him back to defense, and I stayed there. And, you know, we had an unbelievable year in 1966 with Don Meredith as our quarterback. And, you know, I think I scored 16 touchdowns, which was unbelievable. You know, it was just a, an amazing year for me, and that really set me, you know, for the years to come. Well, speaking of those early days as a player, Dan, um, I remember SI once called you, quote, the unwanted cowboy, unquote, on a cover <laughs> story about you. It, what did you learn about players that helped you then as a head coach later? Oh, I think, uh, you know, just preparation. You know, Coach Lander was so thorough in everything that he did. He had assistant coaches. I had a coach named Ermel Allen It was probably his, a good a football mind as I was ever around, and he, you know, taught me. And, and I learned all 11 positions. Don't ask me why. I just did that when I was in high school. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just the way I learned football. So I don't know, you know, why I did it that way, but that was just the way I did it. And so, I, you know, I was very much involved in what everybody was doing, where, you know, where you were getting help from and, and so forth. And, and like I said, the last the only time I played halfback prior to coming to the Cowboys and really played because we had a lot of guys hurt, in a scrimmage against the Los Angeles Rams was in high school and I was playing tight end as a, as a freshman and we went up to Macon, uh, Georgia to play a, a B-team game and the kid that was a starting running back ended up leaving his shoes at home. <laughs> and the coach said, okay, Dan, I want you to play running back. I said, oh, well, I'm going to get the test of ball. And he says, when the left halfback carries it, you move the right halfback. And when the right halfback carries it, you move over the left halfback. So I was running back that didn't carry the ball. That was, honest to goodness, the only experience I had when I went to the Cowboys. You know, Robert Logan, who made our team, too, as a rookie, and our roommate, we, you know, had two a days every day in full pads. And we were the guys that the coaches would say, okay, the linebackers need somebody to tackle. Read you and Logan go over there and let them tackle you. And, and then the next day it was the defensive backs need somebody to tackle. And honest to goodness, that's how we started out, you know, in two days in training camp. <laughs> that's a tough way to start. Uh, you mentioned Don Meredith a minute, a minute ago, and it, it sort of made me think of something. In the ice bowl game, you were one for one passing a 53-yard touchdown pass to, to, to Lance Renzel. Meredith, meanwhile, was ten for twenty-five. Was your arm warm, warmer than Meredith's, or and, and just how cold was it that day in in, in Green Bay? Well, my my receiver was a lot lot more open than any guy that, that Don was throwing to. It was so cold. I mean, really and truly, it was the first play of the fourth quarter, and we were in the huddle, and I, was, you know, we were freezing. It was, you know, being in the huddle out on the field, and as cold as it was. And Meredith told me, he said, we've been running the quick pitch. And he said, they're really coming up fast. I'm going to call the halfback pass. And we were doing it to my left. And I said, oh, man, I said, they're going to call that. So I put my hands down in my pants about as far as I could put them, you know, trying to keep them warm because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't feel anything. And uh, I kept them in there. We came out of the huddle. We were in our formation. I still had my pants, hands down in my pants. 
we shipped it over to a split backfield, and I finally took my hands out. And thank goodness I could feel the ball. Like I said, Lance was so wide open, you know, that we scored. And, I, you know, I really thought it was being so difficult to move the football that time. But Bart Starr did a tremendous job of, you know, taking him down at the end of the game and, and driving him down for a touchdown. Hey, Dan, unfortunately we're out of time. But thank you so much for joining us and relieving some of the, those experiences from the past. Thanks so much, Dan. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks, Dan. That was former player and coach Dan Reeves. When we return, we'll talk about coaches like Dan who deserve to be discussed for Hall of Fame consideration. This is the Talk of Fame Network. Since the dawn of time, people have loved combining things. Have a stick and a sharp rock? Yeah! Now it's an axe. Okay. Got steam in a boat? Uh-huh. Hello, steamboat. Oh, yeah. That's how we made the new Little Caesars box set. You get four slices of deep, deep dish pepperoni pizza and ten pieces of Italian cheese bread with crazy sauce in the same box for just nine bucks. We think you'll agree it's the best combination ever. It is! The new box set only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations for a limited time plus tax. It's Lisa G here. Hey, I think you're all beautiful. I love you guys. And I'll bet a lot of you out there have acne. I feel your pain. It's embarrassing. And you're thinking, how on earth can I get rid of it, right? One word, proactive. I'm telling you, prescription-grade proactive heals your acne and even prevents future breakouts. How great is that? There's a reason why so many celebrities use proactive. Their faces are their money. It's time to get it because proactive has set up a special dedicated 800 number for my listeners. So get ready to punch that number into your phone. Pull over if you have to. Here's the deal. 1995 gets you proactive, plus a rotating deep cleansing brush. It's valued at $45, and it's yours free. So is the shipping. For only $19.95, you, my friends, are guaranteed to get clear and stay clear, or you'll get your money back. Here's the number, 1-800-644-5944. Call for a lifetime of beautiful skin. Tell them Lisa G sent you. Call 1-800-644-5944. Call Quicken Loans now at 800-QUICKEN to see if you qualify for the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And for five years in a row now, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction. And for the second year in a row, they've also ranked us highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800-QUICKEN or visit quickenloans.com. Visit jdpower.com for award information. Call for cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender, license in all 50 states, and MLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and Clark Judge. Talk of Fame is brought to you by Geico. That's Geico, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Pretty good deal. More details, go to geico.com. We're also brought to you by Advanced Auto Parts and CarQuest. Great products, great people, and great prices. And guys, there are plenty of great coaches in the NFL over the years, including the one we just spoke to, Dan Reeves. But it's hard for them to make it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame because, well, they don't have their own category, to be honest. They're going head-to-head with players, and it's tough, as you guys know. You've been in there a lot longer than I have. For a former coach to supersede a former player when it comes to the Hall of Fame, and the proof is right here in this number. Over the past nine years, guys, one head coach, one friend of the show, Bill Parcells, was elected as part of the modern era class, and only 23 have been selected, period. Compare that to 273 players, and I think you can see the problem. Yeah, this process makes it difficult for all coaches to get in, whether they have rings or whether they don't. You know, Jimmy Johnson, Tom Flores, George Seifert have all won two Super Bowls, 
and none of them can get a sniff. You know, I advocate moving all coaches into the contributor category. It's cut and dried. You have two categories, those who played the game and those who didn't, those who crossed the white line and those who didn't. You need to separate the players to make the process fair for everyone. Goose couldn't agree with you more, but Ronnie, I know we've had this conversation before um, just because I, I think they should have an easier road to get to Canton. But it seems to me that you're not so much on board with this idea. Am I correct? That's true. I mean, uh, uh, I don't have a problem with head coaches being in there with the, with the players, uh, you know, assistants. If we get to that point, that's a different story. But look, how many Hall of Fame coaches do you really think have been missed? Ray Hanley, Ron Meyer, you know, Bum Phillips. I mean, I think if you, if you, if you, if you make this too easy, which I would argue it becomes if if they're in the contributed category. I my fear is you're going to get guys in there who who are the hall of very good or maybe even less so the hall of very popular, which is not the same thing. Uh, I think it should be hard for for coaches as, as you point out. It's 23 and that's probably two or three too many. Ron's still upset that Lombardi got in. <laughs> oh, who's that? Hey Goose, I, I know this comes as no surprise to you since you are a resident back man, but Marty Schottenheimer. Dan Reeves, we just spoke to, and Chuck Knox, they rank seven, eight, and nine in that order in all-time coaching wins. One thing they also share, they don't have a ring. And in a business that measures coaches and quarterbacks by championship, that's a problem. And I know they're all long shots for the Hall, as is Don Coriel, another guy without a ring. But at least Don made as a finalist. In fact, he's been there more than once only last year. Aside from Coriel, Goose, do any of these guys have a chance of making it as a finalist? Well, you said the problem. Coaches and quarterbacks are the only two people in the building that get paid to win championships. That's why they come in. The salaries that they do, players get paid to play, and assistant coaches get paid to coach. But coach, head coaches and quarterbacks, it's all about the rings. And for that reason, Schottenheimer, Reeves, and Knox are long shots at best. Reeves has the best shot because at least he took teams to the Super Bowl. Knox and Schottenheimer never got there. Now, the unfair aspect of it is that neither Knox or Schottenheimer ever had a franchise quarterback. You know, Jimmy Johnson had Troy Aikman, George Seifert had Montana, Lombardi had Starr, Landry had Staubach, but Schottenheimer had Bernie Kosar. <laughs> Knox had James Harris and Dave Craig. You could only play the hand you're dealt, and Schottenheimer and Knox played it very, very well, but it wasn't a great hand. Well, I know there's a divergence of opinion on championships, and Gushi just mentioned that about rings and how important they are. Uh, and some people believe they really shouldn't define a Hall of Famer. I mean, rings or championships didn't stop Dan Fouts. Well, it didn't stop Warren Moon from getting to the Hall. Heck, they didn't even stop Dan Marino. He got there, but he didn't win one. So why should they be an obstacle for someone like, um, say, Coriel, with such an enormous impact, at least from my vantage point, on the game? Well, friend of the show and longtime friend of mine and occasional friend of Goose's, Bill Parcells, always says, you judge a trapper by his furs. You ain't got no furs, you ain't much of a trapper. Uh, <laughs> you know, and NFL coaches are judged by their jewelry. You know, you don't have rings. Sorry. That's just uh, how it is. Wait, I think but is that right, Ron? I mean, do you well, like that? I do. Well, to a degree, I do, because that, you know, the, the bottom line of this game, uh, brutal though it might be, is, is winning. And the other problem I have was the with this sort of innovative idea. This guy was innovative. That guy was innovative. I mean, Coriel, to me, is a good example. Look, he was part of a great change, a great offensive change. But that's how Sid Gilman got in. He got credit for that. Uh, he got the credit for the start of it. Walsh got credit for the end of it. Uh, you know, how many guys get credit for innovating the same thing? Uh, I, I think if you're not careful, you know, 
a lot of different guys started getting credit for things that maybe they weren't as involved in as you, as you might think. Look, Clark Shaughnessy invented and perfected the T formation. He can't get in. So uh, I'm not sure innovation in and of itself is, is very easy to articulate or prove. Yeah, look, look at the circumstances. George Seifert inherited a Super Bowl champion. Jimmy Johnson inherited the worst team in football. So it took him four years to, 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 to build a team that could win a ring, and Seifert won it you know, in his very first season. So much of it is circumstance. It's if Joe Montana had played his career in Cincinnati, would he be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. If if uh, Emmett Smith had played his his whole career in uh, Jacksonville, I mean, would he be in the Hall of Fame? Probably not. It's all no. about the circumstance. Well, speaking of circumstances, let's move this forward to a little bit more of a modern perspective. You have someone like I'll mention it, Andy Reid, who hasn't won a Super Bowl. He's been to one. Uh, but he went to the NFC Championship game four straight years, which is remarkable. As I said, he's been to a Super Bowl, and though he wouldn't know it by Monday's game versus Green Bay, he has Kansas City back on his feet. Uh, Goose, would a Super Bowl put Andy on the Hall of Fame radar? Well, honestly, three Super Bowls obviously is your ticket. Two rings aren't doing flourish. Johnson, Shanahan, and Seifert any good. If, if Reed doesn't win any, he's going to have to win at least 200 games his career to attract any attention. You know, Chuck Knox at seventh on the all-time list, 193 victories, and that's not getting him any attention at all. 200 would get him into the discussion, but he'd need a ring or two to advance in the discussion. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, it puts him on the radar, whether it puts a bust of him in, in can remains to be debated, and I think that would be a long and loud uh, debate. I mean, he had a really good quarterback, uh, and uh, in the end, was a trapper without furs. Well, I know someone who doesn't have to worry about getting into Canada. That's our Dr. Data, a.k.a. Rick the Gooseman Goslin. Or, Ronnie, as you call him, Los Lobos. Los Lobos. Yeah, Goose was, or Los Lobos, was elected in 2004 before Ron tagged with that name. But Goose has been all over teams that aren't going to Super Bowl 50 this fall. And now I think he's going to tell us why there may be trouble in Pittsburgh or anywhere else. Your driver is holding a clipboard. Yeah, Clark, there's a reason the NFL pays franchise quarterbacks $100 million contracts and pays just a fraction of that to their backups. Starting quarterbacks are paid to win games. Backup quarterbacks are paid not to lose them. Tom Brady is the first option for the New England Patriots. Jimmy Garoppolo is their second option. Aaron Rodgers is the first option at Green Bay. Scott Tolzien is their second option. Teams do not want to see their section, second option on the field, and for good reason. Since 2000, when the first option has been healthy and able to play, NFL teams league-wide have won 52% of their starts. But when the second option is forced to play, the winning decreases dramatically. Since 2000, those second options have managed to win only 44% of their starts. In September, three teams watched Pro Bowl quarterbacks leave with injuries. Tony Romo with the Cowboys, Drew Brees with the Saints, and Jay Cutler with the Bears. All were injured in the second week of the season, so all sat the third weekend. Brandon Whedon stepped in for Romo, Luke McCown for Brees, and Jimmy Clausen for Cutler. They went 0-3 and combined to throw zero touchdown passes. Now a fourth Pro Bowl quarterback has departed the lineup with an injury. Ben Roethlisberger is out indefinitely for the Steelers with a knee sprain. So Mike Vick draws that first start this Sunday against Baltimore. Don't get your hopes up, Pittsburgh. 
The Steelers now find themselves in the same position as the Cowboys, Saints, and Bears, a position no NFL team wants to be in. Their fates in, are now in the hands of quarterbacks they never wanted to start. Goes, why can't any of these guys seem to win, uh, with the exception of, the, of Matt Castle, who went 11-5 and in, with New England in 2008? Uh, maybe that was a drop of five wins from the year before, and they didn't make the playoffs, but the dude was 11-5. and five. What makes him better than all these other guys? Well, Ryan, you have a very short memory. Tom Brady, you recall, went 11-3 in 2001, filling in for Drew Bledsoe. Roethlisberger himself went 13-0 in 2004, filling in for Tommy Maddox. But those were young quarterbacks on the way to bigger and better things. That said, it's become harder and harder to win because more and more in the last 10 and 15 years, this has become a quarterback-driven game. And most of the guys coming off the bench, the Whedons and McCowns, are veterans employed to get you through a game, not through a month or two months of an absence. There's a reason they are backups. They're not good enough to start. Hey, Goose, quick question for you. Uh, for the people of Pittsburgh, uh, some people there are saying, hey, listen, we've got Le'Veon Bell. We're not really built around the quarterback. We've got a young defense that's going to improve, and we've got Le'Veon Bell. Would that satisfy them? Well, there are going to be nine guys in the box waiting for Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> you know, the Brandon Whedon, I don't think he threw a passport in five yards last week. No, running game won't get it done in a quarterback driven league. Okay, we're going to get it done. We're going to commercial. When we return, the fact man's going to be back. That's right. Rick isn't finished. He'll tell us why a certain Green Bay defensive back is Hall of Fame worthy. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. The following was recorded at a Burger King drive through at breakfast. Good morning. Welcome to Burger King. Hey, sweet pea, uh, I'm going to get the two for $4 bacon, egg, and cheese for sandwich, dude. Oh, I've never heard that before. What, sweet pea? No, the way you pronounce croissant sandwich. <laughs> oh, my. Oh my, you love it, or oh my, just give me my breakfast. Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two sandwich breakfast sandwiches for just $4, only at Burger King. And try them with our smooth roast, Seattle's best coffee. Limited time only. Price and participation vary. This is Lori Grenier. You've seen me on Shark Tank hearing pitches from small businesses. Now, there is a new way for small businesses to get a loan in minutes. It's called Cabbage. That's Cabbage with a K. Just fill out the application online, you'll get an instant decision, and could have access to a line of credit of up to $100,000. No waiting, no hassle. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and is a Forbes Top 100 company. Go to cabbage.com, that's cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E, or call 888-CABBAGE. It's Lisa G here. Do you freak out every time you break out? Well, I've got one word for you, proactive. There's a huge reason proactive is the number one acne treatment in the country. It totally works. Prescription-grade proactive heals your acne, even prevents future breakouts. How great is that? There's a reason why so many celebrities use proactive. Their faces are their money. And I'm telling you, it's time to get it because proactive has set up a special dedicated 800 number for my listeners. So get ready to punch that number into your phone. Pull over if you got to. Here's the deal. 1995 gets you proactive, plus a rotating deep cleansing brush. It's valued at $45, but it's yours free. So is the shipping. For only 1995, you, my friends, are guaranteed to get clear and stay clear, or you'll get your money back. Here's the number 1 800 644 5944. Call for a lifetime of beautiful skin. Tell them Lisa G sent you. Call 1 800 644 5944. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Hall of Fame host Clark Judge. They are who we thought they were. The Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Grasshoppers. An entrepreneur, you're always on the go. So turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a local or toll-free number 
or bring your own. Want to see how it works? Just log on to grasshopper.com. Guys, before we go any further, there was a Hall of Fame brawl in baseball last weekend when Jonathan Papelbaum, a former Red Sox, were on, and there Bryce Harper. got hit. Yeah, went at it in the Washington Nationals dugout. It got a lot of press, and it got me to thinking, hey, how about Hall of Fame brawls in the NFL? I mean, there are and have been plenty. And the first one that comes to my mind is the Buddy Ryan-Kevin Gilbride undercard during the Oilers-Jets 1993 season finale. I'm sure you guys remember it. So do I. Ryan was the Oilers defense coordinator. Gilbride was the offensive coordinator. And they got into it when Buddy not only threw a punch at Gilbride on the sidelines at the end of the first half, apparently was upset about the offense that Cody Carlson was running at that time, but he later called Kevin a wimp, unquote. Now get this. It was on a team, an Oilers team, that was on its way to winning its 11th straight game and a division championship. Well, let me step into Ron's wheelhouse here. There was a brawl in just about every Raiders-Chiefs game in the <laughs> there 60s certainly and 70s. Was Ron involved? These, we liked yeah, it. He, oh, fisticuffs in the press box. They were, these were two of the most bitter rivals of the AFL era. The best one occurred in a 1970 game when Ben Davidson speared Kansas City Hall of Fame quarterback in front of the show, Len Dawson. Who Please, was he prone, was tackling the man. He was prone on the ground in the final minute of the game. Otis Taylor jumped Davis, and the bench is cleared. And 40 years later, you can still see tape of that brawl on the NFL Network. <laughs> Speared, come on. It's a minor little tap of the chest. <laughs> uh, greatest fight I ever saw, a little-known fight, involved the Raiders against the Raiders. There's a surprise. Gene Upshaw versus Monty Johnson, who was a linebacker. Started in the morning at training camp. Because uh, Upshaw claimed that uh, Monty uh, hit him in the knees. They got it going pretty good. They broke it up. Uh, continued in the lunchroom. At lunchtime, we enjoyed that. And those were in the <laughs> days of food was flying. And there you go. Oh, I, can feel the, I can feel the bait. Uh, and that, uh, in typical Raider fashion, went on into the afternoon when it finally ended with Monty Johnson's hands in Upshaw's face mask and Upshaw's in Monty Johnson's face as they head-butted each other repeatedly <laughs> until plastic was flying from both hats, and Johnson finally lost his balance and fell to his knees, at which point John Madden, who was standing there with arms folded, looked at, at Earl Leggett, the defensive line coach, and said, okay, they're tired now. And, and that was the end of the fight. It was the, one of the great training camp fights I ever saw. Tremendous. <laughs> well, we're not going to head and fight anybody. We're going straight to the house band. Yep, I hear that music, and I know where we're going now. To the party store to celebrate some upcoming birthdays. Let's get going. On September 30th, former Atlanta running back Jamal Anderson. Remember him, guys? Created yeah. the dirty bird. I knew yeah. his dad. Muhammad he Ali's turns, uh, bodyguard. Yeah, he turns 43. While former Detroit linebacker Wayne Walker. Goose, you must have watched this guy as a kid. Yes, sir. Turned 79. On October 1st, Conrad Dobler, who did get in a few fights. Love that 65. guy. One day later, on October 2nd, former cornerback and player personnel director for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and a good one, Dick Haley. Father Todd, not Todd Rundgren, Todd Haley, turns 78, while former quarterback and friend of the show, Mark Rippon, turns 53. And on Sunday, October 4th, former Colts receiver Jimmy Orr turns 80. And Goose, he's still standing alone in the Jets' end zone, waving his hands. Earl Morrow, please throw me the ball. While former quarterback Billy Wade, a Vanderbilt star, which took the Bears to the 1963 NFL Championship. He turns 85. Guys, when I was a kid going to the movies in the 1960s, one of my most memorable scenes was the chariot race from Ben-Hur. <laughs> Happy birthday to the guy who won that race, Charlton Heston. 
who would have turned 92 on Sunday, but Haston passed away in 2008. Like wow. me, Haston spent his formative years in the great state of Michigan. So happy birthday, Chuck. Like you, he's locked and loaded. National Rifle <laughs> Association guy, Los Lobos. Uh, well, my guy, fittingly enough, we're talking about fights and we're talking about the National Football League, is a guy uh, who raps in a way that the NFL can relate to. T-Pain! T-Pain turns 31 years old and a guy who once knocked out four of his own teeth while driving a golf cart. Now, that's some, P- to some T-Pain right there, bro. <laughs> T-Pain. T-Pain. Come on, where you been? Fat Joe, uh, T-Pain. No. He sink the Sandals. Jeez. The Sandals. He robbed the Sandals. I'm still leading those free Brady chants for him. Hey, <laughs> anyway, congratulations to everyone, including T-Pain. Rick will be sending you, all of you, open invitations to quarterback trials this week with the Dallas Cowboys. And speaking of Goose, he's here to tell us about a defensive back I know he thinks is a Hall of Famer and the friend of the show, Ron Wolf is very high on. Every time we've spoken to him, Goose, he's pushing him for Canton. And Goose, you're here to tell us and everyone who's listening to us why. Yes, sir. Vince Lombardi arrived just in time to save the legacy of the Green Bay Packers, but not in time to save the legacy of Bobby Dillon. The Packers endured 11 consecutive non-winning seasons before Lombardi's arrival in 1959. Dillon was a part of seven of them, then played one year at safety for Lombardi, and enjoyed the only winning season of his NFL career. He retired in 1960 at the age of 29, and the championship run in Green Bay began. Lombardi took the Packers to the NFL title game in 1960, then won five league titles in the decade. Eleven players from that era have been enshrined in the Hall of Fame, but Dylan, he has no rings and consequently no bust. He intercepted 52 passes in his career, Good for a tie for 26th all-time. Joining him there are Hall of Famers Jack Butler, Mel Renfro, and Larry Wilson. Cornerback champ Bailey also shares that 26th rung, and there's likely to be a bust in his future as well. But his interceptions, Dylan's interceptions came in fewer games and fewer seasons than any of them. And Dylan did it with one less eye. He <laughs> lost an eye in a childhood accident, but that didn't prevent him from becoming an All-America at the University of Texas a third-round NFL draft pick, and a four-time Pro Bowl performer. He intercepted nine passes in his second season in 1953, but they came during a 2-9-1 season by his Packers, so no one noticed. Dillon was passed over in the voting for both All-Pro and Pro Bowl. He intercepted seven passes in fifth time, returned him a league-leading 244 yards, but no one noticed. No Pro Bowl, no All-Pro, the price he paid for playing on a 4-8 and team. He was passed over in the voting for the NFL All-Decade Team for the 1950s, and his name has never come up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's a flaw in the voting process that needs to be corrected. More worthy candidates need to be cycled through the room as Hall of Fame finalists, not just those who won championships, and Bobby Dillon would be a good place to start. Hey, Goose, I'll tell you a good place to start, too. Our two-minute drill, because that's what's coming up now. Goose, you're going to go Pate Manning on us, and you're going to call the plays. Well, our producer, Derek Burns. Derek, you're in charge of the clock. Yeah, you got clock management. So let's go, guys. Antonio Brown or Julio Jones? Julio Jones doesn't have Michael Vick as his quarterback. <laughs> Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. As we head into October, which team has been the biggest surprise? Baltimore. To quote Jerry Jones, they're lower than a cricket's ass. <laughs> Cincinnati. Yeah, higher than an eagle's butt. (laughs) (laughs) 
Which was the worst off-season contract, DeMarco Murray or an Adamacon Sue? John Fox. Jeez. <laughs> ah, Sue. Defensive tackles don't win championships, but they're expensive and they can cost you one. Which injured Pro Bowl quarterback is the toughest to replace? Breeze, Cutler, Roethlisberger, or Romo? Big Ben, because who's going to order the Roethlisberger down at Pepe's now that he's gone? <laughs> I would say Roethlisberger as well, because he's better than the other three guys, and unfortunately, he's being replaced by Michael Vick. The fire sale has begun in Chicago with the trades of Jared Allen and John Bostic. Who's next to leave the Windy City? Rom Emanuel. Bears fans that still drive to Soldier Field. <laughs> Which 3-0 team has the best chance of going 16-0? Bengals, Cardinals, Packers, or Patriots? Patriots. They don't play anybody until February. Cardinals, because Bruce Arians is our friend, and he's a genius with a good-looking hat. Which 0-3 team has the best chance of going 0-16? Bears, Lions, Ravens, or Saints? The Bears. With this week's trades, Goose, they made it clear that they're playing for the number one pick. The Bears, but for a different reason. Cutler may get healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Thomas Rawls? Uh, Lou Rawls' brother? I would say he's the sleeper fantasy football pick of the season. The 49ers have the lowest scoring team in the NFL with just 45 points in the month of September. Is 45 more too much to ask in October? I don't know, Goose. Are we talking retirements? <laughs> If it is, Colin Kaepernick won't have to go to any more dreaded press conferences because he won't have to play in any more dreaded games. What's more unlikely, the Raiders winning the AFC West or the Cubs winning the World Series? The Raiders winning anything other than another Ron Borges Canton vote. Ha! The Cubs winning anything. The Raiders are back. <laughs> Who is Jacquees Smith? Don't know that one either. Jacqueline Smith's alter ego? One of Charlie's Angels? NFL sack leader. <laughs> That's the end of our first hour, but don't go away. We have George Seifert in this week's Hall of Fame and Shame honorees just around the corner. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Hi, Tom Bodette. These days, the Internet is full of quizzes to find out what kind of fruit you are or what movie character you're most like or what state you belong in. Well, take it from this tangerine space cop who apparently belongs in Alaska. You won't find any quizzes at motel6.com. Just lots of clean, comfortable rooms for the lowest price of any national chain. Now, let's see. Am I more like a mild Swiss or a smoked Gouda? Well, I'm Tom Bodette from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Call Quicken Loans now at 800-QUICKEN to see if you qualify for the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And for five years in a row now, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction. And for the second year in a row, they've also ranked us highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800-QUICKEN or visit quickenloans.com. Visit jdpower.com for award information. Call for cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame. As I mentioned, we have George Seifert coming up, as well as this week's Hall of Fame and Shame nominees. And we're going to check in with Hall of Fame voter Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald to see if it's too early to start throwing dirt or darts 
on his Miami Dolphins. But first, guys, let's honor this week's Hall of Fame and Shame nominees. And I'll start first by staying with today's theme and nominating a coach. In this case, Cincinnati's head coach and friend of the show, Marvin Lewis, who is a dead bolt cinch to win the AFC North in lieu of what's going on in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. What's going on there? Nothing. Nada. Yeah, I know it's early, but the Ravens are toast, and the Steelers soon will be. So congratulations, Marvin, and good luck in January, because you know what? You're going to need it. Brock, he's a friend of the show, but he's not very much of a friend of yours, is he? Well, not in January, he's not, Goose. Real <laughs> cold in Cincinnati during that month. Okay. All the elite receivers were up contractually this offseason. Des Bryant, Marius Thomas, and Julio Jones. But it was Jones who got the best contract, $71 million, including $47 million guaranteed. And now he's showing why he got the biggest bucks. He's opened the season with three consecutive 100-yard games. He leads the league with 34 catches. The Falcons are 3-0, and he's the reason. He destroyed the Eagles with nine catches, the Giants with 13 catches, and the Cowboys with 12. No one can cover the man. Yeah. Well, uh, my Hall of Fame uh, nominee goes right to a local boy makes good here, the great Tom Brady. He's thrown for over 1,100 yards in three weeks. That's on pace for 5,500 yards, 45 touchdowns, and that would be zero interceptions. Do not piss this guy off. Wait a minute, Goose. Did I hear that right? Yeah, Ron stop. Have, you know, you've had the hug fest here, so we thought we'd have a little more reasonable discussion <laughs> I'm, about a guy. I'm still Tom shaking Borges that Clark didn't mention him. Tom Brady? Wow. We just want okay. to see if you could think of any other single solitary professional football player somewhere in America other than uh, Tom Brady. Uh, for the life of me, I can't. Not right I, now. I I, I, so I'm going to the Hall of Shame. I can't think of a player. I'm going to the Hall of Shame, guys. So. And you don't Most have to go local. far here. Again, I will stay with today's theme, coaches. And I'm going to yeah, San Francisco where the 49ers ran out Jim Harbaugh after he took the team to the conference championship game. In three of his first four years there, it wasn't good enough because GM Trent Falke couldn't get along with him, and I understand that. Jim Harbaugh is an oddball, and he can be difficult to get along with, but he's also a good coach. As Goose, sorry to mention this, the University of Michigan is finding out. And the 49ers, well, the more congenial Jim Tomsula is 1-2, and two, and he's been outscored 90-27 the past two weeks. On my trip to the Hall of Shame, I'll give you another coach, Joe Philbin. The Dolphins added Ndamukong Su, the best defensive tackle in the game, to the NFL's 12th-ranked defense a year ago. It upgraded the 14th-ranked offense with new pass catchers Greg Jennings, Kenny Stills, tight end Jordan Cameron, and first-round draft pick Devontae Parker. And year one and two, that's a coaching issue. The talent in Miami is not being maximized, it's being minimized. My Hall of Shame goes to the various NFL nitwits, and there's more than a few of them, uh, who changed the rules of football until it became unrecognizable. You no longer play football. When you drive into an NFL game, into the parking lot, and it's whipping the footballs around the parking lot, that's what you can see during the game. Case in point, top five after three weeks, the top five total touchdown passes in NFL history. This year, 157. And when, uh, when were the previous four next highest numbers? 11, 12, 13, and 14. They have not only perverted the game, they have ruined the game and turned it into seven on seven. 
I agree with you, Ronnie. And, and when is a catch not a catch? I mean, Tyler Eifert was asking that question last week. I don't understand. Des Bryant asked it over the uh, offseason in the playoffs as well. <laughs> I don't get it. But I've got to go in another direction now. I'm going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm going back to this week's Hall of Fame. And you know what? I'm going to go where we started this whole show. I'm going to our buddy Jared Allen. Jared Allen from the first segment. You know why? He went from 0-3 to 3-0. and in one day. Yeah, I like that. I'll give you another guy who had a great day. Ryan Matthews. He signs with Eagles for about a quarter of what DeMarco Murray is making. Yet he may be the better fit in the Chip Kelly offense than Murray. Chip's got a bit of a problem coming after these two backs. Pretty good. How about Chicago Bears linebacker John Bostick? One day he's a bear. Next day he's a patriot. That guy should be lighting candles every Sunday for the rest of the season. <laughs> and gets to team with Tom Brady. Congratulations. It's hey, a tackle. That would excite we, me. That's right. We're not going to the Hall of Shame, but we are going to a commercial, guys. When we return, we'll sit down with former San Francisco head coach, George Seifert. This is the Talk of Fame Network. The cheese is melty and the crust is crunchy. This combo's hot and ready for you. Just trust me. Get four slices of deep, deep. Plus one soda for just five bucks. Little Caesars Hot and Ready Lunch Combo. Four slices of deep, deep dish pepperoni pizza and a 20-ounce soda. Just five bucks. Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Hi, Tom Bodette. These days, the Internet is full of quizzes to find out what kind of fruit you are or what movie character you're most like or what state you belong in. Well, take it from this tangerine space cop who apparently belongs in Alaska. You won't find any quizzes at motel6.com. Just lots of clean, comfortable rooms for the lowest price of any national chain. Now, let's see. Am I more like a mild Swiss or a smoked Gouda? Well, I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. There's a reason why so many celebrities use Proactive. Their faces are their money. And it's time for you to get it because Proactive has set up a special 800 number. For just $19.95, you'll get Proactive and a rotating deep cleansing brush. A $45 value, yours free. For only $19.95, you're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or your money back. Here's the number, 1-800-644-5944. Call now for a lifetime of beautiful skin. 1-800-644-5944. Call Quicken Loans now at 800-QUICKEN to see if you qualify for the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And for five years in a row now, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction. And for the second year in a row, they've also ranked us highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800-QUICKEN or visit quickenloans.com. Visit jdpower.com for award information. Call for cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network. Our next guest is not only one of the finest coaches in the NFL that I've been around, but he's one of the finest people I've been around, too. George Seifert was the defensive coordinator who shut down Dan Marino in Super Bowl XIX, and the head coach went on to win two Super Bowls, including one as a rookie head coach, and compile an astounding 98-30 and record in San Francisco. George, always a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you. Well, I look forward to visiting with you. George, I mentioned you won two Super Bowls as a head coach, but you also won two as a defensive coordinator. So you were part of four Super Bowl teams. If they played each other, which of those teams would win? 
you know, um, it, it, that's always tough. I think they're all, obviously, if you're a Super Bowl team, you're a heck of a club. And I was fortunate enough also to be with uh, Bill Walsh as the defensive back coach when we won his first Super Bowl uh, in, in Detroit. But as I look at the teams overall, uh, I would say probably the 1984 team, the one that beat Miami at Stanford. And then I would say uh, our last Super Bowl team, the 94 team, uh, that was, you know, there are quite a few stars on that. I think five or six Hall of Fame players were on that team. George, I was there for that 94 NFC title game victory over the Cowboys. Considering the pressure you were under to win with reports, probably from Clark, that you're coaching for your job, <laughs> was there ever a more satisfying victory? You know, I I think the way I looked at it as a coach, and, and I think you pretty much have to, you're coaching for your job every game that you are involved with. Uh, there's no question everybody's aware, or not everybody, but most were aware at that time that it was kind of a, a do-or-die time. But, you know, you're so wrapped up in coaching the ball game and working that particular season, working with the players. And, and we had a number of new players, as I mentioned before. I, I don't know. that the, the stress that you feel is something that you just kind of becomes part of the, of the position and, and you kind of thrive on it, actually. And I, I don't know I felt any more pressure than I did when I was a defensive backfield coach working for Bill Walsh. I think that, that can be pretty stressful as well. You know, one of the things that struck uh, struck me, I think probably struck us all, George, uh, about that year was that you distanced yourself from uh, the kind of age-old charge that you won with Walsh's players. This was six years later, and you won with your own players. And, and I would think it had to be satisfying to, to at least know internally that you know this was my team, not some team I inherited from from another great coach. Well, I, I, I don't know if I really looked at so much that way. I, I, I would say that the years that I coached, I, I probably feel that that was one of the best coaching jobs that, that I did. If, if I were to rank them, maybe my first year at Carolina would, would fit into that category as well. But I think uh, the thing that I felt very positive about was the fact that we did have so many players from the outside. I think we've all seen sports teams over the years bring in you know, the, the great players, and now these players are supposed to come together and, and guarantee success, and, and more often than not, that doesn't happen. So the fact that, that we were able to, as a coaching staff and as a team, and within the locker room, bring everybody together and have them play at, at such a high level, yeah, I feel very good about it, no question about it. We're speaking with former head coach George Seifert. George, I'm glad you mentioned your stint as a defensive backfield coach because that actually was a fifth Super Bowl ring that you collected, too. So you got a lot of them, one for every finger. But we've been talking about the value of rings to coaches and whether they should be used as a measuring stick when talking about the Hall of Fame. As someone who won two as a head coach, where do you stand on that? Well, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, obviously it has an impact. Uh, I, I think as well, uh, you know, there's contributions that coaches make. I think, you know, from what I understand, there's there's a, certainly a push to see if Don Coriel uh, can get into the Hall of Fame and, and his, you know, innovative passing game was uh, something that influenced professional football. So I think there are other things, things that coaches may have done over the years from a defensive standpoint that changed the game. And uh, I, I think there, all of that uh, is, is part of a resume probably for a Hall of Fame coach. George Clark mentioned your astounding record in San Francisco. What did you learn coaching under Bill Walsh that you could apply as a head coach 
when you took over, and how difficult was it to form your own identity following him? Well, first off, the, the latter part of your question, I don't know that I ever tried to form my own identity. I grew up in the system. I, I'd worked for Bill for nine years, and uh, so I, during that period, we, we started out not winning many games, and so I was, I felt I was always a part, as I think all of us did, coaching and players, that we're part of the growth of what, what took place, and Eddie provided a, a great environment and, and built kind of the structure. And so the things that we did, obviously, I believed, and I was a part of the growth of it. And it was a matter of continuing that. I didn't feel as though it was then my job to say, okay, you know, we're going to change the offense and be a ball control football team. I mean, it had been ludicrous. We had a great offense, great offensive scheme. Our defensive scheme had been successful. And so it, it was a matter of we had, we had outstanding coaches. Um, Two of the greats that people don't talk about a lot, Bob McKittrick, our offensive line coach, and Bill McPherson, who was a defensive coach. They were kind of our secret weapons and, and I guess you'd say, foundation of, of, of the teams over those years. And uh, it, it was a matter. I, I knew what the, the job was. The job was to win championships. It's kind of interesting in that when we first started out, if we went 500, you know, every, everybody was, you know, elated. And then all of a sudden we let the, the genie out of the bottle and we start winning championships. And then that was the expectation, which is great. I, I think it should be that way. And I think it helped us in the long run. It's funny you mentioned that George, because Parcells always used to talk about that. And he always used to say, it's the coach's curse. The job is to win. And the more you win, uh, the more they, they won't let you lose at all. The next thing you know, they fire you. <laughs> it just sort of seems well, like the, the yeah, nature. That's, that's part of the deal. And then, but you would rather have it that way. I mean, I would, and I think most coaches would. You know, the the, the fact that uh, you know Eddie, you know, he enjoyed winning championships, and and that was the standard. And uh, I think everybody accepted it, and it was the reason that when we would start a season, everybody was prepared and ready to go, and and uh, there was only one goal. And I, I don't think that's bad. You're one of several retired coaches to have won two Super Bowls and also not be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Jimmy Johnson is another, Tom Flores, uh, Mike Shanahan, excluding yourself. Uh, if you could vote for one of those guys or put your hand on and put him in the Hall of Fame, which one might it be? Do I have to pick one? Because I say they all actually, you know, Tom <laughs> Flores uh, obviously followed, the, you know, a, a great coach and actually, I believe, exceeded, you know, what John Madden had done as, as a head coach. I. I don't know that. But I think he won a couple of Super Bowls. Yep, John, I right. believe, won one. Is that right? Yeah, so I, right. I think. But but what Flores did, and and uh, you know, but I, I mean, it's difficult to say that uh, you know Jimmy Johnson doesn't belong, or Mike Shanahan for that matter. Or, you know, going in there, have, he had some experience in Denver, but going in and and seeing to it that uh, John John Elway was uh, was. Uh, dramatically improved uh, quarterback, I thought, once he and Mike start working together again. We're speaking with former head coach George Seifert on the Talk of Fame Network. And George, simple question. How would you like to be coaching defenses today in a league <laughs> where it practically outlaws it? It's difficult. I, 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 I shake my head. I have, you know, I understand what everybody's trying to accomplish in protecting players. And, and uh, I, you know, but I, I always worry about the fact that, you know, sometimes people get, injured more by trying to pull off and, and slow down at the wrong time. But, you know, there's, it's obviously an issue. It's something the league has to, has to uh, face up to or protect the, the players. In fact, whenever I was coaching, I, I, 
I would start the season, and, and the number one thing I'd say, or my number one responsibility, I would tell the team, was their safety. And I honestly believe that. And uh, we would try to teach tackling and you know practice in a way that we were going to protect our players. It's but, but to answer your question, you know, fortunately, I I have to worry about the the salmon bite now, or what kind of deer hunting season it's going to be. You know, those are my those are my my uh, my problems at this particular time. George, you mentioned Eddie and the pressure of coaching for Eddie. What was the best and worth worst things about working for him, and what do you think of his nomination for the Hall of Fame? Well, first of all, I I I, I believe it. You know, he should be a, a chewing. That's the way I look at it, and I not because of my my former employer, but well, I, I guess I would say because he was, because I, I saw what he did and the environment he created uh, and and the togetherness and family atmosphere that he created that allowed our team to, to you know, be the best that it could be. And uh, he did so many little things. I think all of that's well documented. He, he did hire Bill Walsh. He was the one responsible for that, that hire to kind of kickstart everything. And then he saw to it that Bill and myself had what we needed, you know, things were a little different then. Uh, you know, our famous statement to me always was, you know, what do you need, George? And but but that was, there was a price, you know. What do you need? And if you got what you needed, then by God, you better get it done. So, as I mentioned before, I understood that everybody understood it, and uh, I think we thrived on it actually. We've had uh, Hall of Famer Charles Haley on our show several times great guest. He spoke about uh, how meaningful it was for him to return to San Francisco and win the 92 conference championship game. You coach Charles, uh, and Clark tells me that uh, he could be a trying experience, uh, and that's being diplomatic. Do you ever second-guess the decision to trade him to Dallas, the difficult though he was to deal with? Yeah, yeah. first off, absolutely. You know, I've had a number of visits with Charles. In fact, uh, you know, just recently he was inducted in the San Francisco 49er Hall of Fame, and uh, you know I was I was there for that. And and I, but prior to that, I think a couple of years ago, Charles and I had a couple of meetings, and uh, and and they're very positive, And I consider Charles a friend. Uh, yeah, that was a, mis- a mistake. I mean, I, I I think I would have handled it better had I had him another year or two under my belt. You might say as a head coach, uh, there were problems. Uh, but it's the responsibility of the coach to to deal with problems. There there were, were not a lot of problems on our team, and uh, at that particular time, there was a problem. And uh, you know, I, I you look back, it's like losing a ball. It's like you know, we lost the championship game to the New York Giants. So I'll never forget it. It was a loss. Covering, I remember when I was playing high school football in San Francisco, and in 1957 we lost the city championship on Thanksgiving Day to Balboa High School. And and I never forget it. I never forget the New York Giant game. I don't forget the, the mistakes I maybe made during the course of my career uh, with regard to personnel. It was unfortunate that worked out that way. George, quick question, last one too. Why don't you do any more Visa commercials? That 1995 commercial was gold. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I can't dance or sing like that anymore. I've tried, <laughs> believe me. But yeah, there's not enough wine, I guess that I can consume. No, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and, uh, you know, but, uh, I think the, the singing and dancing days are over. <laughs> George has been a lot of fun too. Thank you so much. And good luck with the salmon bite, whether it's in Bodega Bay or Thank Tahoe. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. And, and you guys have a great day. Thanks George.
Thanks, Thanks George. George. That was former coach George Seifert. When we return, we'll talk about why George and others with Super Bowl rings should be Hall of Fame candidates. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. The following was recorded at a Burger King drive-thru at breakfast. Morning, welcome to Burger King. Let me get a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sure, right now they're two for four dollars, but is that how you say that? Yeah, croissant. Where I'm from, we say croissant. Try that. Croissant. Oh, that took you two seconds. Took me years of practice. I'm not you. Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two croissant breakfast sandwiches for just four dollars, only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary. This is Lori Grenier. You've seen me on Shark Tank hearing pitches from small businesses. Now, there is a new way for small businesses to get a loan in minutes. It's called Cabbage. That's Cabbage with a K. Just fill out the application online. You'll get an instant decision and could have access to a line of credit of up to $100,000. No waiting, no hassle. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and is a Forbes Top 100 company. Go to Cabbage.com, that's Cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E, or call 888-CABBAGE. It's Lisa G here. Do you freak out every time you break out? Well, I've got one word for you. Proactive. There's a huge reason Proactive is the number one acne treatment in the country. It totally works. Prescription-grade Proactive heals your acne, even prevents future breakouts. How great is that? There's a reason why so many celebrities use Proactive. Their faces are their money. And I'm telling you, it's time to get it because Proactive has set up a special dedicated 800 number for my listeners. So get ready to punch that number into your phone Pull over if you got to. Here's the deal. $19.95 gets you proactive, plus a rotating deep cleansing brush. It's valued at $45, but it's yours free. So is the shipping. For only $19.95, you, my friends, are guaranteed to get clear and stay clear, or you'll get your money back. Here's the number, 1-800-644-5944. Call for a lifetime of beautiful skin. Tell them Lisa G sent you. Call 1-800-644-5944. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. They are who we thought they were. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame is brought to you by Advanced Auto Parts and Car Quest. They are who we thought they were. Great products, great people, and great prices. We're also brought to you by GEICO. That's GEICO, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Want more details? Just log on to Geico.com. And for more details on coaches, especially Hall of Fame coaches, you don't have to log on to anything. You just consult Rick and Ron. That's what I do. First hour, we spoke to Dan Reeves and about head coaches who don't have rings but who do have the credentials to get into the room for debate. But now, of course, we've just spoken to George Seifert, one of my favorite coaches of all time, and he has not one but two Super Bowl rings. And it brings up another subject, one we addressed in – First hour, guys, coaches with rings who aren't in the hall and why. And Goose, I'll ask you a similar or maybe the same question that we addressed uh, in the first hour. That's how big a factor, at least in your mind, are Super Bowl championships when measuring coaches for gold jackets? Well, it's a reality factor. You know, like I said in the first hour, the two people in the building who get paid to win titles are the quarterback and the head coach. Their salaries reflect it, as do their legacies. Right or wrong, that's the way it is. If you're a quarterback without a ring, you better have an extraordinary statistic or two. Dan Marino had a handful. If you're a coach without a ring, you'd better have an extraordinary feat on your resume, like Marv Levy taking the Bills to four consecutive Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. You need a ring. Okay, well, we have several retired coaches with Duham Goose. 
George, as I mentioned, Mike Shanahan, Jimmy Johnson, Tom Flores. And while Jimmy was a Hall of Fame finalist last year, none of these guys is really deep on the Hall of Fame watch. So if we're using Super Bowls and championships as measuring sticks, you want to tell me why? I mean, they've got two rings. They all retired after they won the Super Bowls. They'd probably be in better shape. You know, for starters, all failed to achieve at the next stops after winning those rings. Shanahan at Washington, Seifert at Carolina, Johnson at Miami. Hall of Fame coaches are supposed to have an impact on teams, and those three coaches didn't have an impact on their next franchises. Well, that's correct. I mean, if you, can't, if you contrast what they did with, take Parcells, for example, friend of the show, by the way. You know, every place he went, he took losing teams and turned them into playoff teams. You know, these, these guys didn't even come close. I mean, and that's, the I, I think, what hurts all of them. You know, the, the other places they went, it, it was disastrous. It wasn't just they didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't win squat diddly. Or is it diddly squat, depending <laughs> on who you're talking to. Uh, you know, and I, and I just think when you look at it, you say, well, okay. Shanahan, to me, is the best example. There was a time when people talked about him like he invented offensive football. Then John Elway retired, and who? Who's, who's that guy again? Shanahan. You know, Jimmy Johnson, unfortunately, the nitwit factor killed him. You know, he left Dallas, and they put a nitwit in there, and he won the Super Bowl. So then you start to say, <laughs> well, maybe it was just like a nitwit, a nitwit show. You know, you know, you know Seifert never should have gone to Carolina. Clark begged him not to, but he didn't listen to him. I uh, did. I did. I know you did. I, like, I know I you did. Him, I said, don't go. He said, how long do you think I'll last him? Three years. And he I, told him, years. I told Flores the same thing in Seattle when he, when he, when he decided to come back. Coach, I said, just stay in the office. We are smoking cigars. You can blame the coaches. Once you're down on the sidelines, they blame you. Ronnie, I'm glad you mentioned Flores because of the guys on this list. He's sort of the most intriguing one to me. I mean, here we are you know, celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month in October. And he was, as you know, and I think most people know, a Hispanic pioneer in the NFL. But he was successful at everything he did. And the rings are the proof. He has one as a player. There's one as his assistant coach, and he has two as a head coach. So, Ron, what's the problem? Well, again, I think it's that he failed the thing in, in Seattle so badly, you know. And, and the fact that anybody who coached the Raiders, it was, and it uh, certainly haunted John Madden for a long time. A lot of people said, well, they didn't really run the team. It was Al Davis. Al Davis did everything, you know, which was not true, uh, but but that was a fact. But, I, you know, I agree with you. Look, I mean, he, uh, your friend Ira Miller always used to say, can you write the history of pro football without the guy what we were talking about hall of famous and you can't write the history of pro football without tom flores he was the first hispanic uh, starting quarterback he was the first hispanic uh, head coach and he was the first minority uh, of any type to win a super bowl and got no credit for it and to me that's a lot of history you know ron i think the fact he won twice without a hall of fame quarterback certainly enhances his standing in my eyes johnson seifert shanahan all won rings with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Flores did not. But again, like you know, Ron mentioned, he struck out when he moved to another franchise. He wasn't as good a coach in Seattle as he was in Oakland, but he didn't have as good of players in Seattle as he did in Oakland. Well, Goose, I'll tell you who didn't strike out when he moved to another franchise, and that's friend of the show, Tony Dungy. And my guess is he'll probably be the next head coach to go in, and, and maybe this year or 2016, the next time we vote. But uh, I think because of his impact, both as the first African-American coach to win a Super Bowl and as someone who started his own coaching tree. But Tony won only one Super Bowl. Flores was also a minority. As Ron pointed out, he won two. So why does Tony get more traction 
where Flores doesn't. Well, I talked a little bit earlier about extraordinary stat, extraordinary feet. Dungy has the sixth best winning percentage of all time, and the five coaches ahead of him, Madden, Lombardi, Allen, Shula, and Hallis, are all in the Hall of Fame. This guy won and won and won. Okay, Rick, one other question for you. We're running out of time here before we get to Ronnie, but among the active coaches, you have Tom Coughlin with two Super Bowl wins, Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin, Sean Payton, Dick Vermeil, Mike McCarthy with one, and Tomlin, Vermeil, and Carroll with two Super Bowl appearances. But then there are guys like Holmgren, Mike Holmgren, Bill Cowher, who have one ring. If you had to choose one for Hall of Fame consideration today, one, who would it be? Mike McCarthy. Aaron Rodgers is 31. He's not done yet. And Mike Ron, McCarthy's riding shotgun on that bandwagon. Ron, who would you choose? Coughlin. You know, uh, he uh, won two Super Bowls. He derailed an undefeated team, and he built a playoff team from scratch in Jacksonville. Well, there's a guy I'd take because he always gets Hall of Fame consideration. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I get. That's the Harold Stassen (laughs) of modern era candidates. Exactly right. Ron Borges. And he's here with his Borgesaur. Bogus. To tell us why fantasy football is just that for NFL employees. A fantasy. Well, you know, guys, Burt Bell was arguably the most powerful commissioner in NFL history. And as one of his first acts, he wrote an anti-gambling resolution into the league constitution, empowering him to permanently ban any NFL personnel for betting on a game or withholding information uh, about a game possibly being fixed. To further obstruct gamblers, he directed each team to issue an injury report listing anyone who might not play, and he lobbied to get every state in the union to criminalize the fixing of sporting events and put employees on the payroll to investigate potential betting scams. So what do you think of the NFL's growing embrace of two multi-million dollar fantasy websites that insist they're propagating tests of skill, not games of chance? Bogus. Exactly. I had a friend who won a million dollars in a golf fantasy game. He picked four of his six players for the following reasons. Two were from Texas like him. He walked with one during a Masters and thought he was a nice guy. And pick a fourth guy because he concluded this guy can't play lousy forever, can he? This qualifies as skill rather than chance, only by the definition of an NFL Burt Bell does not recognize. As daily fantasy mushroomed from the basement to a business model, the NFL embraced it and now says its players can too, as long as they don't win more than 250 bucks. Of course, to win, they'd have to bet. And just who's going to monitor how much they bet or how much they win? Ted Wells? Bogus. League policy states that fantasy football games in league or club sponsored skills competitions for prizes generally are not considered gambling or gambling-related activity, provided there's no wagering on the outcome. Hey, stupid. Obviously, they're wagering on the outcome or DraftKings and FanTool wouldn't exist and the NFL wouldn't be in bed with them. To argue otherwise is bogus. The prohibition on accepting more than 250 bucks in winnings is to, quote, Avoid any appearance of impropriety which may result from participation in fantasy football games by individuals perceived to have an unfair advantage due to their preferential access to information, unquote. This is the same league where the Players Union has a group licensing deal with DraftKings. Isn't that the merging of the two, the definition of potential insider trading? Many states have begun to believe fantasy sports is gambling. DraftKings is based in Boston and recently had to meet with the state attorney general, Mara Healy, a former professional basketball player who looks askance at the idea these are games of skill, not chance. Not to mention the fact, if you have to wager for a chance to display your skill, ain't it gambling? If fantasy football isn't gambling, then then betting on football isn't gambling either, because it takes more skill to beat the spread than to beat your Uncle Tony's fantasy team. If one understands human nature and greed, one can see what's coming. 
The day a player gets busted for shaving fantasy points for a million-dollar gambler, it's going to be a harsh reality check for the NFL. An NFL has forgotten. There's more to worry about than how to grow the revenue. Ron, does the genie ever get back in the bottle? Well, I, I think it will because I think eventually there's going to be some disastrous circumstances. There's going to be the arch leaster of the world you know, throwing a pass behind his back out of bounds to make sure he doesn't complete one too many because uh, Tony from Taunton is, is, is sitting in the parking lot waiting for him. You know, I mean, it's just a, I think it's a slippery slope, a dangerous, dangerous way they're going, and they're blinding themselves to the great danger in, in professional sports, which is that people start to think it's not a legit game. I agree with you, Ronnie. Hey, quick question. Should I play Gordon this weekend, Cleveland? Uh, never mind. <laughs> hey, we're going to go to commercial. We're not going to beat Uncle Tony or his fantasy football team. We're going to commercial. When we return, we're going to talk to Hall of Fame voter Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald. Better what's going on or not going on with his fans. It's the Talk of Fame Network. I'm a pair of designer shoes so expensive my owner had to give up half decaf skim vanilla lattes just to afford me. So you can imagine my terror when a pipe burst and the apartment started flooding. There I was, trapped in the closet, water rushing all around me. But what was I to do? I'm a six-inch stiletto. It's not like I can run. Your stuff can't protect itself. That's why the GEICO Insurance Agency helps make it easy to switch and save on renter's insurance. Renter's insurance will cover personal property loss or damage as well as provide liability protection. Visit GEICO.com today. The cheese is melty and the crust is crunchy. This combo's hot and ready for you. Just trust me. Get four slices of deep, deep dish. Plus one soda for just five bucks. Little Caesar's hot and ready lunch combo. Four slices of deep, deep dish pepperoni pizza and a 20-ounce soda. Just five bucks. Little Caesar's. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Hi, Tom Bodette trying out this Paleolithic diet. You know, the one where you eat the stuff cavemen used to eat? Well, right now I just want to hunt and gather a pizza. For you, on the other hand, I recommend a steady diet of Motel 6, where you can get a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain. Sure beats this cave, not to mention the loincloth, which is draftier than I anticipated. I'm Tom Bodette from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Book online at motel6.com. Would you like a cleaning product that can be used in the garage, the laundry, and the kitchen, and save space in your cabinet? Hi, I'm Bruce Fabrizio, inventor of Simple Green. Concentrated all-purpose Simple Green is the answer for versatile cleaning throughout your home and garage. I'm so certain you'll love Simple Green. If you're not 100% satisfied, I'll give you your money back. To learn more, visit us at simplegreen.com. Simple Green, Simple Green. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Grasshopper. As an entrepreneur, you're always on the go, so turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper. The entrepreneur's phone system. Get a local or toll-free number. Just bring your own. Want to see how it works? It's easy. Just log on to grasshopper.com. You know what, guys? I want to see how those Miami Dolphins work. So that's why we put in a call to Armando Salguero, our Hall of Fame voter and writer for the Miami Herald, also Dolphins expert. Armando, you're with Clark, Rick, and Ron. And the first question I'm going to ask you is the obvious one. What is going on or maybe not going on with your Dolphins? I thought this was the year they were supposed to challenge for a playoff spot. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And um, I guess I thought wrong. 
so far. Uh, what is going on? Let's see. Acts are going on. Turnovers are going on. Too many points allowed are going on. What's not going on? Big plays, third down, com- you know, uh, completions and conversions. Everything that you might want a football team to do consistently, the Miami Dolphins have so far declined to do it consistently <laughs> in victory and defeat because they did go to Washington in the season opener and beat the Redskins. And, you know, fans were upset because it was a poor showing. And basically they were upset because it was a poor showing. Little did they know that the next two weeks they would have a poor showing and come out with a loss. Armando, the Miami D has one sack on the season, including none in the last two games. So where has the Domicon Sue been hiding? Yeah, you know, after that first game, uh, he was asked how he played, and he said poorly. And after the second game, <laughs> he was asked how he played, and he said not much better. He was better <laughs> this last week in that he actually had four tackles, uh, two of them for loss. He had a quarterback, a quarterback hurry. But if you're asking me where is the dominant, you know, quarterback chasing, run stuffing, $114 million contract signing player that the Dolphins thought they got, uh, he hasn't shown up yet, Rich. <laughs> You're stuck in Detroit in traffic, I guess. Uh, Armando, I got a, a question because I just saw these guys last week, and you'll have a better handle than me. I saw the Jacksonville Jaguars. How on earth does do you lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars? That is an impossibility, is it not? Well, no. It's a possibility <laughs> for the Miami Dolphins in that regard. They can make the impossible happen. They're awesome. Uh, look, this is how this is the anatomy of a loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They struggled with them last year when the Jaguars, I think, were like what, a two or four win team? And so, and the Dolphins were an eight and eight team. The Jaguars are improved this year, or at least they were until they went to New England. Yeah. And they they were home and they were excited about being at home. And the Dolphins didn't, didn't play fast. They didn't start fast. The Jaguars scored on their, you know, on their first drive, the Dolphins went three and out on theirs. Uh, As a matter of fact, the Dolphins have played three games this season, and the other team has scored on its first drive each of those games. Not Starting fast has been a – yeah, no, terrible. Starting fast has been a, a, a problem for the Dolphins on both offense and defense, and in that, you know, Coach Joe Philbin wants them to play complementary football. So far, their definition of complimentary football is we're going to let you score and we're not going to go anywhere on offense either. (laughs) How about playing football Uh, worth complimenting? That would be good. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things where Blake Bortles, he didn't light it up. But when the game was on the line and he needed a a game-winning field goal drive, he delivered. And then... You know, the Dolphins had a minute and a half on the clock, and they needed, you know, some heroics from Ryan Tannehill, and he didn't deliver. We're with Hall of Fame voter Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald, and we're trying to figure out the team he covers. I'm sure he is, too. That's the Miami Dolphins. And Armando, I'm glad you mentioned Joe Philbin, because I'm just wondering, can anything short of a playoff berth save his job? 
You know, that's a great question, Clark. And um, I get the feeling from every sign that ownership, Stephen Ross, the owner, has given, the patience runs out this year if they don't get into the playoffs. Uh, the only caveat to that is maybe if they go 10 and 6 or something and they get squeezed out of the playoffs and Philbin can say, hey, you know what? Uh, we improved by two games from last year. And so it's not our fault or my fault that everybody else was really good. Uh, that might save him. Of course, I don't know why we're even discussing this because they're one and two. They haven't shown like they. They're going to get anywhere near 10-6, and six, and it's, it's going to look like a coaching search at the end of the season if they continue on their current arc. Armando, our mutual friend Edwin Pope had been carrying the flag for Bob Kuchenberg for decades, called him the most worthy player not in Canton. How heavy is that flag now that it's in your hands? Rick, uh, Edwin tried to pass it to me. I slipped and fell down, and it landed on my chest. It's pretty heavy, that flag, in that while the player is, I believe, deserving, um, you know, I understand some of, the, some of the challenges that he faces. I know that it's a long time ago now, I, and every year that we get further out, Memories fade more and more. The, the people in the room change more and more. And more deserving people come into the room as far as candidates are concerned. I get that. Um, having said all that, you know, the Dolphins of that era have two Hall of Famers on that offensive line in already. Larry Little and center Jim Langer. And it's... It works for me that Don Shula, who was the coach of that team and is himself a Hall of Famer, has told me on more than one occasion that Kuchenberg was better than those other two. And so if, if that's the case, then he should be in as well. Armando, you probably know that sound. I know the Dolphins do. Time for the Dolphin fans to go home. Yep, it's two-minute warning. Turn out the lights. Party's over. Hey, Armando, thanks for joining us. And look at it this way. At least you have the weather down there, right? Absolutely. Just in time to go to London, though. So whatever. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, thanks, go, Armando. There you go. Buenas noches. <laughs> Hasta luego. <laughs> <laughs> that was Armando Salguero, the Miami Herald. And this, no, this is the two-minute drill. Rick's going to ask the question, so Goose, let's get it going. The Patriots scored 51 points the last weekend. Who's the next NFL team to score 50 in a game? Uh, that'd be the last one, New England. And it could happen, Goose, in Dallas in two weeks. Wrong. It's going to happen in Indianapolis in the first half. The Rams are on pace to become the first NFL team with 70 sacks since Minnesota in 1989. Buying or selling the Rams? Selling and moving to L.A. I'm sacking the Rams because they're also on pace to score 16 points per game, Goose. <laughs> Michael Sam says he quit the CFL because he wasn't getting better as a player. Where does Sam go from here? The real world. He goes to Kentucky and runs against Kim Davis, the county clerk in Rowan County. <laughs> Andrew Luck has committed eight turnovers in three games. Bad luck or bad quarterbacking? Neither. Bad beard. 
Bad quarterbacking by bad luck. Capital L. Speaking of quarterbacks, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? Come on, please. Count the rings, Goose. Aaron Rodgers, Goose, just to try to keep some sort of balance on this show. There are three games in London this season. Is that three too many or five too few? Well, Germany couldn't get to England. The NFL shouldn't either. Wrong. Five too few. Think of the headline possibilities, Goose. London sacked by Patriots. London bridges falling down. And there's all kinds of possibilities. Great. Buffalo is the only AFC team without a 100-yard receiver. Is it time to coax Albert, Albert Golden Wheels de Benyon out of retirement? Nope, but it's time to dust off Jim Kelly. <laughs> nope, it's time to keep Tyrod Taylor's throwing arm tied right to his side. Black hole or dog pound? Neither. Pirates Pavilion. Oh, please! They don't throw bones from the hole, man. They throw machetes. <laughs> Who has the best job in the NFL? Paul Tagliabue. He doesn't have to be commissioner anymore. What's the best job in the NFL? Us! <laughs> we are in the NFL, Ron? Yes, we are. Well, we'd like to thank guys who were in the NFL, Dan Reeves and George Seifert, as well as Armando Salguero for joining us, Derek Burns for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you want to catch this or any podcast, just go to our website, talkofhamenetwork.com, or beam us up on iTunes. Otherwise, listen to the station at this time next week. We'll look for you then. Do you freak out every time you break out? Try Proactive. There's a huge reason Proactive is the number one acne treatment. It totally works. For just $19.95, you'll get Proactive and a rotating deep cleansing brush. A $45 value, yours free. For only $19.95, you're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or your money back. Here's the number, 1-800-644-5944. Call now for a lifetime of beautiful skin. 1-800-644-5944. Hi, Tom Bodette. Apparently, it's not enough to go on a weekend jog. Nowadays, so-called fun runs have barbed wire, mud bogs, and flaming hoops. Can poison blow darts be far behind? But Motel 6 is a safe stop in the long or short run. Always a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain. Book online at motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light on for you. Ow, was that a blow? Duh.